Welcome to the Wellness Alchemy Podcast. I'm your host, Janelle. I'm a naturopath, herbalist, and nutritionist, and the owner of Seeds of Health. I created the Wellness Alchemy Podcast to bring together three of my favorite topics, health, truth, and adventure. I've got a special interest in skin health and fasting, with my recent three-month skin alchemy program just having been released. Today on the podcast, I interview Campbell. He's a physiotherapist and a certified Wim Hof Method instructor. I really enjoyed this chat with Campbell because we dive into how we can draw on the tool of breath and how we can utilize it to support our well-being, stress, anxiety, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, and even weight loss. Let's dive in. Well, welcome to the podcast, Campbell. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. So I'm really curious to dive into this topic of the nervous system and breath today. Um, and I want to kick off with what inspired you to work more with the nervous system as your, within your work as a physio. Yeah, sure. Um, I sort of, I guess I learned over time and through experience um, and from a sort of new grad physio to how I treat now, I've progressed quite a bit. And that sort of came as a step-by-step um, and I learned that not a lot happens in the body sort of independent of everything else. Um, so for example, if, if a patient came in with a knee issue, I'd find I'd get much more effect by treating the leg rather than just the knee. And I guess that as I developed a more systems-based approach, I quickly learned that the sort of nervous system sits atop that hierarchy. Um, the nervous system more or less regulates our brain, our gut, our immune function, our hormonal system, sort of vasculature. So it's sort of the master of all of the other biological systems in the body. And to me, it was sort of a simple progression of learning that if you don't look after the top, um, then you're going to have a limited effect working bottom up. So it sort of drew me towards finding that the nervous system is really this sort of master regulator and keeping it happy um, has this sort of flow down effect on the rest of the systems of the body. So it's sort of, it started coming out in the way that I work and, I realized that the breath was sort of the way into the nervous system, the most accessible way in, because there is a few ways we can regulate our nervous system. But for me, the, the easiest and most accessible was working with the breath. Mm. And is that what, um, I guess, catapulted you into learning the Wim Hof method or were there steps prior to that for you? Um, there were steps prior. It was sort of an interesting progression. Um, and I really distinctly remember the sort of moment um, I was actually working in ICU at the time and my job was to go in and I was working with obviously the quite sick patients and I had to go in and get them mobilizing because if you're laying in bed for prolonged periods, everything starts to shut down. So it's important that you mobilize and breathe. And I was getting this gentleman up um, and he looked at me with <laughs> this very, very strong look in his eye and he said, look, mate, when you can't breathe, nothing else matters. And that really, really sort of struck a chord with me. Um, and that sort of pushed me to learn a little bit more about breathing. And sort of at the same time, I was getting into yoga and there's a big sort of breath based around pranayama. And I sort of came to this bit of a disconnect with what was expected of me and what I was allowed to do as a physiotherapist in a hospital setting and the potential that I was seeing outside of physiotherapy of what we can do with the breath. And I sort of got to this point where I was, I guess, more or less hitting the ceiling with what I was allowed to do in hospital and what I was learning could be done. Um, so that sort of put me on a deep dive to all things respiratory. Um, and that's when I more or less stumbled across the Wim Hof Method. Um, I saw the Vice documentary, which I'm sure a lot of people have seen. 
and was just fascinated by it and really just sort of wanted to have a go. And basically all of the, all of the benefits that the Wim Hof method was touting, I started receiving myself. And so I just sort of went deeper and deeper and realized that my passion was lying with working with the breath. Um, and now mm. I sort of, I do integrate a lot of principles within my physiotherapy, um, but I'm also just practicing the Wim Hof method as, as an instructor separate to that. But I find there's just so much overlay, um, but it's now really difficult for me to separate the two. Um, and I do use a lot of principles, not just the Wim Hof method, but just respiratory control and breath related practice in my sort of skill set as a physio. Mm, awesome. Um, that personal experience just sounds like it really hit you in the face. It really did. And it, it's something that I, I tell at my workshops now because it's really what put me on this path. Um, and it to me, and it still sits with me, I can see him sitting there, just the sort of utmost truth with what he was saying. He wasn't mm. just saying because he didn't want to get out of bed. He was really just explaining to me, like, I can't because I can't breathe. And whatever mm. else you want to do comes second to that because I can't breathe and that's the basis of it. And so that really sort of like turned that light bulb on in my head that if you don't look after breathing, then everything else becomes difficult. And, and what I've learned on the flip side of that is you, you do look after breathing and everything else more or less falls into line. Mm, yeah, beautiful. So you touched on stress in a recent breath or Wim Hof breath workshop that I did with you recently. Um, and how could we potentially work with it rather than against it? Because I know this is something that you're really keen to shed some light on so could you yeah. elaborate a little bit more on that and i guess um i'm assuming that this is you know one of the reasons that fueled your passion for wanting to support individuals and in breath work yes very much so um and i think i mean if if there's one take-home messages that take-home message that your listeners might take from our conversation today it's that stress isn't the enemy um, without stress, I don't think we'd be here today. Um, it's sort of what drives us to adapt and drives us to evolve. So it's not the stress that's the problem, it's how we react to it. Um, and there's this wonderful system in the body that there's two different types of stress. One is eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, and the other is distress. And we can look at eustress as the positive version of stress and distress as the negative. And what's interesting is that your body doesn't know how to discern the different types of stress. It's simply your perception. So we can, and obviously we'll, we'll use the ice bath as, as an example, but the way that you prepare your mind and you prepare your body to dealing with that stress and the way that you perceive it has a very, very powerful change in the outcome. The stress doesn't have to change. It's simply what's going through my head, what state I'm in, and what I'm expecting to happen afterwards. Um, and I think we often put stress in, in a bubble that's sort of separate from the other aspects of our life, but our nervous system doesn't really have a sorting or a filtration system. It just deals with different types of stress. So I think a lot of the time people almost compartmentalize different types of stress. So they might've had a, a really intense week of work with meetings and deadlines and they're sort of, blow off steam method might be to go to the gym. Okay. Or, and maybe it's going to have a few beers or glasses of wine afterwards and maybe a sweet treat for dessert to de-stress. But really all of these little bubbles are just stress, just different ways. So it might be a psychological stress or a physical stress or a, a nutritional stress, but really on a systems level, that distinction isn't clear to our, to our body or our nervous system. So it's really important what's going through our head in relation to stress. 
And mm. although I'm saying stress isn't the enemy, like this low grade constant stress that a lot of people are facing today is, is quite destructive for the body. But to sort of group in and say stress is bad, I think we're really missing the point. And we're missing the opportunity to try and use that stress to cause a positive adaptation rather than shy away from it and avoid stress at all costs. Because really, if we think back evolutionarily, we cannot avoid stress. It's, it's a part of life. So it's really how we respond to it and how we sort of direct our response that's going to have a lasting effect. Mm, yeah. And then equipping yourself with the right tools, such as breath work to... Exactly. And, and that's a really good point, Janelle, because without those tools, then you're sort of at the whim of the stressor. Um, mm. But if you do have those tools in your toolkit, in your toolkit, then that leaves you a little bit more capable and equipped to deal with what life throws at us. Mm. Yeah. So you touched on this at the start of the conversation, but how does the nervous system underpin deep healing in, in the body or in the human body? Yeah, for sure. So what I think is important for your listeners now, we don't want to get too much into a sort of neurology lesson, but of our nervous system, what's most important for us talking about today is the two branches of the autonomic nervous system. And that's our sympathetic nervous system and our parasympathetic. And we can, if we really simplify it, our sympathetic nervous system is what drives us towards action and survival. And our parasympathetic is more of our rest and repair. Now, those two systems work in opposition to each other. So if we are constantly in this survival state, but our nervous system feels that we're, whether it's real or perceived, that we're under threat and we need to survive and drive ourselves towards action, we really don't have time for healing. It's not a priority. Mm. Our priority is survival. So if we're stuck in this sympathetic drive, then healing really gets pushed to the bottom of the ladder because it's not keeping me alive today or right now. So our nervous system must be able to sort of flip back to that parasympathetic state to allow these processes of healing, of restoration, of repair, of rejuvenation. Because if we're in that sympathetic state, then really healing is a long-term priority and it's not going to save my skin today. So it really just gets relegated to the bottom of the chain. Mm. Yeah, and it will continue getting pushed to the bottom of the chain, chain won't it? So exactly uh, right. the, you know, the breath work is one uh, tool that we can use to, to enter into the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system. Are there any others that you speak to your clients about or share in your workshops that would be useful for the listeners? Yeah, I think there's some really wonderful research coming out from a guy called Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's a Stanford neuroscientist, um, and he works a lot with vision. Um, and again, we're looking at giving people these real-time tools um, that if you're in a stressful situation, whether it be financial or emotional or physical, what can I do right now to try and modulate or modify my nervous system to put me in a better, better state to sort of deal with that? One thing you've experienced with the workshop is if you're in the middle of a, of a job interview, you can't really go and do three rounds of breathing. So what you can do is you can use the visual field. Um, and so what Dr. Huberman talks about is this difference between a panoramic vision and a focal vision. And what they look at when they're doing brain scans is when I'm focused on one thing, I'm pushing my nervous system straight to that sympathetic state because I'm dealing with this sort of tunnel vision. Um, and this ability, and for those that have practiced meditation, it's this sort of soft gaze. 
that I'm almost just trying to draw in all of the information that I can see. So this sort of panoramic or peripheral vision really, again, is a nice way to quickly change my nervous system state and push me more towards that parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. So I think vision is another really powerful tool that, that you've got with you all the time that's completely accessible and that has an instantaneous effect. Mm. So just to get, just to get clear, do, are you, are you also, could, could I also reword that and say, um, depending on what you're focusing on, positive or negative impacts the parasympathetic think, nervous system? I think so. Um, now I would be amiss to say that that's backed by, well, at least not that I know of that's backed by scientific research, but I think that's the same thing. And, mm. and we know when we sort of ruminate and we get trapped in thought mm. and going over these sort of things, I think it's one of the things, unfortunately, that makes us human is our ability to sort of replay these things in our head. And mm. if we're replaying a stressful event, then again, my nervous system's not great at discerning what's happening right now and what I'm imagining and replaying. So I can replay that really negative stressful event over and over and over. And I'm getting a neurochemical, I'm getting a physiological response to that. So again, I'm pushing myself towards that sympathetic state because I'm trying to process and deal with this stressful event. Mm, I loved that reminder in the workshop, just you know, the power of our mind and the choice that we have and what we focus on. Yeah, it's, so it, it's really something that I, when I started with my practice in the Wim Hof Method, it's not that I disregarded it, but I think, and I, I think I mentioned this in the workshop, that the breathing and the ice bath are very obvious things. I mean, you do the breathing, you feel wonderful, you're in the ice bath and it's a really intense but powerful event. And we sort of relegate the mindset to the third pillar of the Wim Hof Method. And honestly, I think it's the most important because it's what ties the other two together. Um, I can do all the breath work I like, but unless I set my mind up, okay, then the experience goes in a different direction. So I think the power of the mind sometimes can be a little bit overlooked, um, but really it, it's what drives a lot of these processes. And, and, and you look at a, a lot of these sort of extreme athletes or these people, and Wim often talks about this, people ask him, well, how did you get to Everest? And how did you do this marathon, the polar circle? And he said, my mind was strong. My mind told my body to keep going. Mm. So it's not that he's the fittest man in the world. It's that simply he's got the strength of this neurological muscle to continue and to persevere and to push through the hard moments to feel the positive ones afterwards. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, we've talked a lot about the nervous system. Um, I also wanted to dive into how the Wim Hof method and breathing and the ice baths combined can give people tools to increase their confidence as much as their well-being. Would you like to speak to that? Yeah. And well, what I think is really interesting about the breath, I mean, there's no one that doesn't have access to it, no mm. matter what you're doing, no matter where you are. Um, but for a lot of people, because it's this automatic process, we often think, well, I'm breathing all the time. Like, what does it matter if I change it? And, and I actually meet quite a lot of resistance with people when I, when I say, oh, I teach people how to breathe. They say, well, I'm breathing all the time. Like, how am I doing it wrong? We forget the sort of nuances and the subtleties of the different types of breath. And what happens when you learn how to control a breath or at least become aware of it is now you've got access to this tool. Um, so it doesn't matter what's happening. You, set, you know now and you've got the confidence Say, hey, I've got this tool that I can use and I can regulate my physiology. I can direct my nervous system. So it's sort of just learning 
learning learning to have a tool that's with you all of the time, that's completely accessible, that's free. Um, and I think that is a powerful way for people to just take a little bit of sort of responsibility over themselves and to say, look, I do have something that I can do in this situation. Because a lot of the times it might be what's happening to us, okay, that we can't change, that we can't modify. But what I can change and modify is how I'm responding to it. And, and using the breath as a way to sort of direct that response is, is a really empowering thing. And, and that almost goes the same as the ice bath. And I have my, my favorite part of the workshop is watching this sort of light bulb go off in people's eyes once they hit that maybe 60 second mark in the ice bath, that they realize that they are capable. I mean, the ice bath, and you've experienced it, it's quite a daunting thing. Someone tells you you're going you're gonna to hop in this thing with 150 kilos of ice and you're going to be submerged. And it really is quite a stressful event for your body. It's a survival situation. So realizing that all I did was breathe my way through it I think that has a wonderful, wonderfully empowering effect. What else can I breathe my way through? Or if mm. I can do the ice bath, then I can do that other thing that I thought was impossible or that was too hard. Mm. Because, and another thing that sort of ties back into this element of stress is the body has this wonderful system. It's fascinating to me. It's called cross-stress adaptation. And it basically says that the better I get at dealing with one stress, the better I am at dealing with any other stress. So teaching myself to deal with the stressor of an ice bath makes me more equipped to deal with that email or that deadline or that meeting or whatever it might be in that person's life. But becoming more of a resilient person in terms of being able to deal with these stresses that life might be throwing at you, you can then transfer that into all these other skills. Mm, yeah. And I couldn't agree more with you that the fact that it's a free tool and it's always available. I find often when I'm, um, conversing with clients if it's something that's a little too simple it's it's often too quickly overlooked because oh it's always there it's you know as yeah. we said it's free yeah. and and sadly it's underutilized i couldn't agree more and and i think it is a really thing and and again it maybe it just ties back to some part of human nature that we sort of think that it has to be hard and that i have to work for it for it to be valuable or of use to us and and because this thing, excuse the pun, is right under our nose, a lot of people <laughs> just skip over it. Mm. And they sort of go, oh, well, how well, like maybe I need to go and practice meditating or maybe I need to go and do this. Whereas actually, like maybe I just need to learn how my breath reflects my state and how I can change my breath to change my state. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love for you, to, if you're um, open to it, just sharing a little bit of um, information around how your workshop workshops are facilitated um just to give people a little bit of insight into into what they're um going to be diving into if they choose to partake in your upcoming workshops yeah for sure um i like to as hopefully you experience i like to make the workshop a very interactive thing um mm. and i've looked a lot into how people learn and if you're sitting there as a student and i'm standing there as a teacher and you're sort of sitting and taking notes it's, you're probably going to retain a very little amount of information. Whereas if we're having an interactive conversation and we're moving about and I'm comfortable and I really like to intersperse the theoretical basis with the practical knowledge. Um, so my workshops are generally this sort of, all right, let's sit down and talk about what's happening for 15 minutes and then let's do it. All right. And then let's come back to what happened and we move through. So I, I do go a little bit into, because 
what I've found in my experience, not just as a Wim Hof instructor, but also as a physio, that if people understand the why, then it makes them more inclined to use that tool. If mm. I'm just standing at the front saying, you should do this because, uh, then I think there's going to be a very limited follow-up of that because it's just this sort of figure that's told me I should do something. Whereas if I can break down to participants just the very basics of respiratory physiology, of nervous system modulation, of this sort of access into our autonomic nervous system, then people have that little bit of a, oh, that's why I'm doing it. Or like when this happens, the response of my body is this, and that gives me this outcome. So I do like to try, I, I do think I'm, I like to teach my participants rather than instruct. So mm -hmm. I want people to know how to breathe, why to breathe, and what that is giving to you on a sort of moment by moment basis. Because mm -hmm. that way, because I think there's, what's interesting about the Wim Hof method and breathing practices in general, this is nothing new. I mean, pranayama is thousands of years old and there's many of these ancient Eastern principles that are based around breath. So the Wim Hof method is, is it's a sort of modern package of these ancient principles. Okay, so it's not something that's been created. Wim's just been instrumentative in creating this sort of three pillar technique that's quite accessible and he's got a lot of sort of support and following behind him but he's the first to say that this is nothing new okay he went mm. and studied in india and in tibet um, with the sort of monks and with the yogis and so he's sort of just taken elements of these eastern principles and brought them back into more of a, a westernized package i guess i also um, feel it's bite-sized yes yeah, having done a lot of pranayama myself, I just feel like what, what he offers, it's just like this bite-sized empowering piece that people can digest with, with ease, potentially without That's any right. pranayama practice behind them. And it doesn't necessarily have this caveat to it that I think a lot of, and my sort of dive into pranayama and, and these other Eastern principles, there's sort of a, you have to do this to access this and sort of go and meditate in the cave for a week to get enlightenment. And if you don't do this or you have to abstain from that to achieve this and Wim sort of said, he's like, well, that's bullshit, honestly. Like why doesn't everyone deserve the, the keys to unlocking this part of themselves? And his sort of quote is that everyone deserves happiness, health and strength. It shouldn't be that you have to abstain from something or you have to do this for a certain amount of time to achieve that everyone should have access to it. And so I think you're completely right, Janelle, that he, he's made it into this really accessible bite-sized piece that within 15 minutes, you can feel that something's going on. Mm. And for a lot of people, that's enough for them to go, oh, well, now I'm interested. Now I want to load a little bit more because I feel great. Mm. And I also think it's worth mentioning perhaps his driving force behind it. What I understand is his wife committed suicide as I, that's correct and that and that's, that's what catapulted right. him into wanting to find a way to um i was going to say control the mind there might be a better way of wording that yeah uh, or maybe it's that just to not be controlled by the mind um mm, but you, the opposite mm. right in that sense that i mean he started developing this technique when he was sort of 18 or 19 um and had been practicing it for a decade or so and in 95, his wife, unfortunately, was suffering from mental health issues and she committed suicide. And they had four young children. Um, and as you can imagine, that sent him into a pretty deep, dark place. And, and what he talks about is his children made him survive, but reconnecting with nature and reconnecting with himself is what made him thrive again. And I think mm. it's an important sort of, he talks about the power of the cold to sort of penetrate his grief 
and to make him feel something again. And that sort of opened up the doors to feeling other things again. And I've been fortunate enough in my own life not to, to have to really deal with something as tra traumatic as that. And, but I can understand how having access to these tools that allow you just to sort of feel something again is maybe the first step in, in being open to feeling happy and positive emotions again after something so dark. So it was that that, that made him, I mean, he is a, a very eccentric character, but he's on, a man on such a noble mission that he really truly just wants to heal the world of mental health issues because of that experience that he felt very let down by the sort of conventional system um, that the pharmacological intervention obviously didn't work and he ended up losing his wife and he felt that, well, this doesn't work, so what does work? And, and that really put him on this mission to like, let science study me. And, and I think that was honestly one of the most important things he did because there's many methods out there and there's lots of them that work and there's lots that don't. But for me personally, as a, physical, as a physio, it, I'm quite an objective-minded person. And to see that scientific validation, it really allows people to go, okay, well, that's backed by something rather than it's just some crazy guru telling me I should do something. So I think it was really intelligent of Wim to, to put himself at the wing of science and say, study me, because I'm not different to anyone else. And I've worked out a way to tap into these parts of my body that I think is very important for just the general public to be, to be sort of available information to people. Mm, yeah, he's an incredible man. Um, I also wanted to perhaps add something you shared in the workshop, that the ice bath is really just the testing ground for how we respond to stress but the breath work is the tool that provides or the support tool that has the most impact perhaps yes and and i think that's again i, I have plenty of people that come to the workshop that feel that the ice bath is the end goal mm. um, and it's not i mean it's it's great because of the the physical and physiological benefits are quite immense and profound and, and it is a wonderful sort of process but really what we're using the ice bath is to teach myself or to show myself how do I react to stress or how do I react to this event that's happening and using the breath is the only thing that you can do in the ice bath really mm. other than get out <laughs> <laughs> you have to use the breath to try and can I force myself into a place of calm amidst this chaos okay and, and you might have heard me in a workshop talk. I think it's a nice analogy to think of the ice bath as a really loud noise. And is it a noise that I have to react to? Or can I sit with it and listen to it? Because a lot of times when life might be throwing something at us, it's not that I can just remove myself from the situation. It might be something that I have to be a part of. So can I teach myself to find a little bit more comfort in this uncomfortable situation? So it, it's... And I've heard other instructors talk about the ice bath as a bit of a mirror and it sort of shows you how you are right now. Am I fighting the stress? Am I running from it? Or am I allowing myself just to surrender to the experience and allow my body to do the things that it's able to do rather mm. than my mind getting in the way and saying, Oh, I should get out of here. This is really painful. This is bad for me. Because mm. the mind operating I've, I've from learned, fear, perhaps. Yeah. And I've learned in my sort of experience that more often than not, the mind is, is, generally out to sort of sabotage us. Mm. So it sort of just want, and look, that comes from a, from a, a place of trying to protect us, I think, mm. because if you can remove yourself from that difficult situation, then you're less likely to have any ill effects. 
but that's not always the place that's going to lead us to that growth or that resilience. So it's sort of allowing us to quieten that part of the mind and allow my body to take over because I think the body has this really, really untapped potential and wisdom even in, in the way to deal with things. But our mind has got so powerful and right at the front of everything that we do that we quite often listen to the mind and don't let the body get involved. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I would love to finish with you sharing some of your amazing results from your Wim Hof workshops. You have um, shared a few during the workshop I was at of just, you know, what the participants have got out of it, but I'd love you to share as many as you choose as to, you know, what you've observed as a um, facilitator of this amazing yeah. method. I was thinking about this and I'd, I'd like to share a couple of things from my experience as a facilitator, um, mm -hmm. but also through my experience um, with another instructor I worked with for a few months in Mexico. But I'll start with sort of my own workshops. And it's really interesting that honestly, each workshop I do, I, I learn a little bit more about sort of the far reaching effects of the Wim Hof method. We sort of get taught as instructors that it's great for X, Y, and Z, but I've had people come up to me and sort of like, oh, well, I was doing this. I had a lady at my last workshop that was sort of flabbergasted because her body fat percentage had just really, really dropped down. The only thing that she'd changed is she'd started practicing the breathing and the cold exposure. And she's a professional bodybuilder. And so she was saying, this is a, a really a sort of step up for me because prior to this, I was doing everything the same. And all I've added was the cold exposure and the breathing. And now my body fat's dropped down. Mm. So, but what I've really, really been sort of, struck by and moved by is hearing participants that are going off their medication. Now, obviously this isn't saying to listeners that just do the Wim Hof method and stop your medication. That needs to be guided by a medical professional, but I've had numerous participants now that have stopped their antidepressive medication because they found it was making them sick after starting to practice this with regularity. Interesting. And that to me, I was like, wow, that's really, really powerful. Um, and Wim's actually currently doing a study in the U S where they're, monitoring its effects they just got a two million dollar grant to study its effects on depression and ptsd um, Amazing. Um, and so the latest study that they did with Wim is this ability that he's got to tap into these deeper structures of the brain specifically the endocannabinoid system and the opioid system which is our brain and our body have this really really deep medicine cabinet and we don't know how to access it it's it's usually on automatic pilot but Wim's found a way in and so if I've got at least a little bit more control over what's happening on a, on a neurochemical or on a hormone level, then that really opens up the doors to what else is possible. And there's mm. a few links now, basically it's saying that these imbalances on a chemical level are causing disease. So does this open up the doors to being able to control that? And maybe the story that I'd like to tell, um, a friend and fellow instructor, Juan Pablo, who we worked together for a couple of months and he sort of got put onto the Wim Hof method because he was bitten by a tick and contracted Lyme disease. Um, and he was a sort of high functioning businessman um, in Mexico city and filled his time with mountain biking and hiking. And within two weeks he was bed bound um, and sort of fell into a depression that came with losing the life that you have lived for so long. And someone put him onto the Wim Hof method. So he started practicing. Um, and went down the road of becoming an instructor as well. And we crossed paths in Mexico. And 12 months after his diagnosis of Lyme disease, he just summited the three highest mountains in Mexico, which wow. all are over 5,000 meters, 
topless, as Wim does, so just wearing a pair of shorts and shoes. And he did that with the diagnosis of Lyme disease. We had a really long, profound chat because he was flying up to LA to get the Lyme disease test, which is about $1,000. And I sort of said, well, why are you doing it? Like, you just summited these three mountains. Like, obviously, you're doing okay. And he said, well, it's really important for me because if this diagnosis comes back as positive, then I'm showing people that your diagnosis doesn't mean everything. I've got Lyme mm. disease and I can go mountains. And if it comes back as negative, then I've just again proved another thing that the Wim Hof method is capable of. And I've reversed this sort of autoimmune based condition. So it, it was really interesting that for his taken his perception on that that it didn't matter whether it came back as positive or negative because he more or less conquered it and, and really again all that he changed was he started implementing this Wim Hof method practice that's huge and really really huge and he also was quite sort of philosophical about it and he, and he sort of said that it wasn't the fact that the tick gave him Lyme disease it was that it, it made him aware of his insufficiencies and what he was doing wrong in his life in terms of diet and nutrition and sleep and the things that we often overlook. And he's saying, if I was really healthy, then I wouldn't have contracted Lyme disease. It was this inability of my immune system to sort of fend off this attack, this threat. So it really took hold because I was not in the right place. And, and that sort of woken me up to how I can sort of optimize my life on all these different levels. So that now, look, I can climb mountains and it doesn't matter that I've got this diagnosis of Lyme disease. So I thought that was a, mm, a really beautiful way to frame it. Way. Yeah. Yeah rather than the sort of what was me i got Lyme disease sort of said well at least that woke me up to the things that i can change in my life to make my life a little bit better mm. good on him yeah it's really, yeah. really quite amazing and they're actually they just did a big study in the netherlands um specifically on the method and Lyme disease and i think they had 18 participants and 17 of them had a really really quite obvious profound effect um, and so they're doing a little bit more research now on, on its effects on autoimmune diseases and these sort of chronic, not mystery illnesses, but these idiopathic illnesses that they're not quite sure of where the cause lays. Fabulous. If we can use this method to sort of strengthen and build resilience, then you're less likely to be affected by these symptoms. Mm. Awesome. Did you want to share any other stories before we wrap up? Um, what, um, yeah, maybe I'd like to share also the, the thing that, and I think I shared this in my workshop, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself for you to know. That's fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> share away. All of the, I quite often got drawn to sort of the physical benefits of the method and it allows you to do this. And I, myself personally, like my sleep really cleaned up, I had more energy. I just had a more sort of balanced outlook and one thing that I didn't really touch on and fortunate for me, it was just not on my radar is, is the emotional component. Um, and I've had quite a few experiences now with participants in workshops that just tell me that this ability to, they could feel this emotional tension come up in the body that they might've been holding on to for, for a long time. And this ability to use the breathing to, again, put your nervous system in a state that's going to allow this sort of change. Um, so I've had quite a few people that say like, oh, like I wasn't even sure what I was holding on to, but, and it generally ends in tears. And I don't think tears are a bad thing. It allows that sort of discharge of emotional energy to leave the body. Because I think as humans, we're not very good at just letting things process. We hold on to it, we ruminate, we go over it and over it and over it. And again, we're creating this sort of 
biological response in our body to stress and to trauma and to sort of maybe these negative things. And by using the breath just to push the nervous into a system to a state that's going to allow that release, I think is a wonderfully powerful thing for a lot of people. Mm, yeah. Allowing the emotion to release from the cell is how I visualize it rather than it yeah. being suppressed and stuck, mm, which you just said that in a different way, but yeah. I, I yeah. It's sort of opening up, opening up those doors and allowing that to happen. Um, mm. Because so much of the time we're just holding on to things. Mm, so I think yeah. it's a nice way to, and, and it doesn't have to be a conscious decision for a lot of people because you're putting your nervous system into that state. And another quote by Dr. Huberman that I, I really sort of take an effect. I mean, it says the only thing that your nervous system and your body understands is chemistry and electricity. So if you put yourself in that state on a chemical and electrical level, then you're allowing these things to happen. It doesn't have to be a conscious decision of I'm going to let go of this trauma. But if I put myself in a state to allow that, that's hopefully going to happen. Mm. Interesting. Um, you've touched a little bit on weight loss. I, I guess I would love you to uh, go back to that and just how it, how the ice baths and the breath work um, support fat loss. Would you be able to share a little bit more information on that? Yeah, for sure. And it, and it's one of those sort of un not untapped, but it, it's an added benefit, I feel. Um, I don't get many people coming to me asking me to teach them Wim Hof Method to lose weight. Mm. Um, but I myself like, had no intention of losing weight, but I started doing regular ice baths and practicing consistently, and I lost five or six kilos. And I went, oh, damn, <laughs> because I wasn't trying to do that. If we think about on a metabolic level, and there's a really interesting study that they did with Wim that prior to him even getting in the ice bath. So he's standing in front of the ice bath and they measured his blood and his cellular metabolism goes up 300%. And what that is, is he's exposed himself to ice enough times that when he sets his mind to it, he knows what's about to happen. But if we think about our ability as a human body to stay warm, we have to generate energy from somewhere. Okay, so we jump in that ice bath, our body temperature drops and we have to warm ourselves back up. And so the easiest way I'm going to do that is start burning calories and generating heat. There's a, a sort of not newly discovered, but a sort of new interest in something called brown adipose tissue. Um, and they previously thought that it was existent in babies. And by the time you're about 18 months, it begins to sort of dissipate because babies don't have the muscular energy to shiver enough to generate heat, whereas adults do. So they thought this brown fat just slowly sort of tapered off as we got older and we developed our sort of shivering system. What they found, not specifically with WIM, but when they were doing other scientific research, is that people that regularly expose themselves to cold temperature have higher concentrations of this brown adipose tissue. It's located mainly around the collarbones and the upper thoracic spine and across sort of the upper trapezius area. But when we repeatedly expose ourselves to cold, we start to build on this brown adipose tissue. The difference between brown and white, and a white adipose tissue is just our sort of storage fat, is that the brown adipose tissue has what's called an uncoupling protein. So we can generate this almost chain reaction that converts energy straight into heat. So it's only built and it only occurs with exposure to cold. So when we repeatedly expose us, and it doesn't have to be an ice bath, it's just that cold temperature. And Rhonda Patrick, uh, another interesting doctor, talks about, Below 16 degrees Celsius is when we start engaging these systems. 
So that might be a cold shower, it might be a swim in the creek and might be swim in the ocean in, in the middle of winter. But by exposing the body to these lower temperatures, we have to generate that heat from somewhere because the body is drive to find homeostasis, which is this balance point. And if our organs aren't at 37.5 degrees, something's not right. So the body knows that, okay, my ex external temperature is really low. I need to create some heat. I'm going to burn preferably fat to try and generate that heat. So it's the sort of, and, it, and again, now that I understand the process, it's quite logical that if I keep driving this metabolic response in my body, then I have to get that energy from somewhere. And the obvious answer to that is my fat stores. Mm, yeah. Yeah, magic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing insight around uh, the Wim Hof method and the benefits on the nervous system and all of the extensive um, ripple effect after that. So I've really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you, Campbell. My absolute pleasure, Janelle. Thank you for having me on. And it's been a wonderful conversation for me as well. Yeah, good. All right. Thanks, Campbell. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Wellness Alchemy podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave a review on iTunes and definitely subscribe to the podcast. And do check out my new three-month skin alchemy program by heading to seedsofhealth.com.au. Bye for now.